The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. Kind of a spiritual journeyman, media producer guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today as co-host is spiritual rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. And especially because, uh, you know, this this dates this a little bit, but it is uh, it's close to Christmas as we record this. And I, I put on Facebook that I that I was very happy to find uh, and the, the nutri- nutritionists in the audience are not going to be pleased about this, but I was very excited to find uh, Christmas Crunch, which is the Captain Crunch uh, uh, of the Christmas time. And that, that just really excited me. And Sarah, you sent me a Christmas Crunch t-shirt, which I was so I excited I'm... about. <laughs> I'm such an enabler. You are. I am. And I was trying to find if there was Hanukkah Crunch. But I oh, could not yeah. find it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe a different cereal is uh, celebrating Hanukkah. I hope so. I don't know. How long have you been eating Christmas Crunch? Since I was a little kid. I don't. Yeah. I don't eat Christmas Crunch. I don't eat uh, Captain Crunch at any other time, really. So it's not a. It's not like a staple in my house or something. But I don't know. It's got sparkly uh, Christmas lights on the box, and it's got Christmas trees and stuff like that i just i get excited when i see it so i was really excited to see the t-shirt i think it's interesting what we attach to food wise for holidays and and sometimes it's a traditional food but for you it's something that's very magical i think that's adorable (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it really does me help nutritionally but you know i don't know if it's uh if it's vegetarian or vegan is is uh, Captain Crunch uh, vegetarian? You know, I have no idea. I have an app that tells me what's in different foods if I can't figure it out. But, you know, I, I for many, many years was addicted to Lucky Charms. And I'm pretty sure that it was because of the tagline. Do you remember that? that oh, it's really unpolitically correct now, but they had, you know, the little leprechaun and he would sing It's Magically Delicious. Oh, yes. And for some reason, you know, the words, I'm really, I know that I'm really sensitive to marketing. I have jingles in my head from decades ago. Oh, yes, right? yes. Honeycomb's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. You know, <laughs> yeah. I could do the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. So which is kind of interesting since we're talking about words today. Absolutely. And the importance of words and how we use them, how we think about them and how we should pause sometimes before we uh, actually put them in an email or or put them out of our mouths. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. I was on a rant yesterday and I had, you know, really written, finally crafted my argument for someone. And then I thought, I'm just going to set this aside for a day and see if I feel the same way tomorrow. Luckily, I did because I was on quite a tear. 
Yeah, I, you know, it really is important to to set it aside and, and take a few moments. I have, unfortunately, in the past, I have uh, not taken that time. And, uh, you know, it, it ends up with confusion and, and uh, you know, controversy, uh, because I, I got my feelings out in the moment, but it didn't help the situation at all. So I'm learning that as well to, you know, okay, I don't need to respond immediately. Although I do expect anybody that I send an email to, to get right back to me within five minutes. I don't think that expectation is probably very, you know, uh, worthy, but you know, uh, but I have, I have learned, you do need to take that time, step it aside and say, okay, what is it? I really need to communicate and and how do I want to communicate it rather than just come from a place of like over emotion, you know, and it's, it's a, sometimes it's a tough lesson to learn, but you, you, you make the mistake and you really learn it's important. Well, and then there's this, the time to step in with the oops after I sent something, right? Sometimes I'll send an email off and then I'll be, I'll have to send another one off. Yes. yes. Say, hey, listen, I was a little fired up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perhaps I owe you an amends of some sort, you know, and uh, so I think communication, I don't know that we're really taught how to communicate very well. No, I don't. I think you're right. And I think uh, especially right now when things are in kind of a lockdown mode and because of the pandemic, and I think we're going to talk with Terry about this, but, you know, communication is has changed and it's it's more challenging. And sometimes, especially in, in emails and things like that, you, uh, you you people can misread an email in a way you didn't intend it. Uh, and you could write an email in a way that you, it comes across in a different way. It, it's a different talent that we just haven't necessarily uh, appreciated up till now. No, I remember in school learning, you know, learning cursive and learning how to write a letter where you put the address and where you put, you know, all that, all that information. I remember having a pen pal in Kenya and waiting and waiting for those thin little air paper. Do you remember airmail paper? Yes, yes. Really, the, the, like, trans almost transparent um kind of light blue paper and it would you'd have to kind of open it carefully because if you didn't cut it right it would rip the words open you know and we'd wait weeks weeks yes. for a response i i kind of pine for that i think you can probably hear it in my voice <laughs> i think i need a pen pal jim I need yes. a pen pal in a different country <laughs> well I th we can find that for you i'm certain of that now I, ha I have right now i've made the decision that if i do uh make the the choices of the wrong words in an email or something like that, or uh, the inappropriate words, um, I am going to send that person Christmas crunch. I've decided that right now. <laughs> I'm going to write you the most fiery email in like five <laughs> minutes to see if you actually follow up on that. <laughs> we shall see. But I do like that you're, I like that you're spreading joy and cheer. And I think that playfulness and lightheartedness is so important right now. Things feel so heavy and things are heavy. And so being able to hold all of that and hold the sadness and hold the disappointment we have, yes. but also have some fun and some lightheartedness. So uh, yes. you send your Christmas crunch. I will do that. I will do that. All right. Are you ready for some dueling inspirational quotes? I am. I have a short but power packed one today. Here we go. The words you speak become the house you live in oh i like oh. that that is so <laughs> good Tell, who who was that that's 14th century sufi poet hafiz that's awesome that is really interesting the, 
the words you speak become the house you live in. I love that. I love that. That is so important. Wow. All right. Well, mine is um, not quite associated with words, but, but here we go. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. I'm getting such a Star Trek hit off that. Yeah. <laughs> That's Proust, Marcel Proust. Is it really? Yes. You said voyage and discovery, and all of a sudden I was in space, but I don't think that's perhaps what Proust meant. Well, you, he could have been prognosticating. You know, you never know. You never know. You never know. All right. Are you ready to dive into the show? I am. Let's do it. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi, this is Martha Creek, MarthaCreek.com. The lesson today is inspired by the teachings of Eckhart Tolle. Finding purpose for your life. Accepting. A-C-C-E-P-T-I-N-G. Accepting. Light years ahead of accept. Accept. They made me mad, except I couldn't do any better, except that was a problem. No, accepting I'm going to be mad, accepting people are going to do what they do, accepting that people are going to do what human beings have been doing for 2,000 recorded years. So this accepting holds all the power in the universe for me. Accepting means that I allow myself to feel whatever it is that I feel, and that you, through acceptance, can allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you feel in the moment, in the situation, in the circumstance, and to make that part of the isness of the now. This is what is now. This is part of what is. Accepting it is kinder and easier than arguing with it. Accepting is kinder and easier than opposing it. Because all that I oppose, all that I argue with, all that I resist, all that I reject creates infinite, infinite, infinite suffering. So when I argue with reality, I lose. And as Byron Katie says, only 100% of the time. When I argue with reality, I lose. When I oppose reality, I lose power. When I oppose reality, I'm not in my highest, innovative, collaborative, thoughtful, creative part of my mind. When I argue with reality, I suffer, I get more regressive and more animalistic. There is a new world waiting a new world, a new earth that is possible through the practice of acceptance, accepting it as it is. I don't have to like it, don't have to love it, don't have to condone it, don't have to vote for it. This is what is, and my aligning with what is, accepting what is, holds all the power for me to um, elevate my response, to elevate my consciousness and to allow some of this little triggered 
ego to be burned off, so to speak. Acceptance as power. Acceptance as the direction to go in to live a life with purpose, on purpose, as purpose. All blessings and love to you, friends. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Classes, videos, podcasts, anything that's there to support you in your life's purpose. Funniest Thing Guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everybody. My name is Edward Biagioti. I am the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio and anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's my pleasure to be with you on Big Universe to talk to you today about how you talk to yourself and how important it is. A big part of metaphysics and new thought and this type of spirituality of empowerment and recognizing the truth of our own divinity is recognizing how important it is to pay attention to the way we are thinking about ourselves and the things we are saying to ourselves or are sort of being said about ourselves in the, in the, sometimes in the back of our mind, sometimes in the front of our mind. But it is so important to be vigilant about our thoughts when it comes to how we are thinking about ourselves, Because the way we are thinking about ourselves really lets us know what type of God we are worshiping in that moment. When we allow ourselves to put ourselves down, to limit ourselves, to say negative things and judgmental things and make ourselves feel guilty and fearful, we're really buying into this outdated concept of a punishing God, which does not exist. The only place that exists is in our own mind. So it's, it's so important to f- when we find ourselves thinking negatively about ourselves, take some time to meditate, read something inspired. Uh, May Rowland said, when you are enshrouded in gloom, you can do something about it. If you have been depressed, unhappy, anxious, hurt, or disappointed, you do not need to wait for a certain turn of events in order to become joyous again. The, the change can come through a change in your thinking, even, the midst of, in the, even in the midst of gloom. Drop a thought of joy into your mind and you will begin at once to get a joyous reaction. Like the ripples that extend out and out when a stone is dropped into a pool, even one thought of joy reaches out and out into your entire life and starts a joyous reaction. So say some kind things to yourself. Be good to yourself. Shine your light on the world. That's what this is all about. Daryl and Ed love you. And now it's time for our interview. Terry Short is an adventurer exploring her individual evolutionary journey. She's a human potential developer who specializes in leadership development and communication skills. With more than 30 years of leadership experience in healthcare, hospitality, and business ownership, Terry is an author, speaker, and professionally certified coach. She can be found at shortgroup.net. Her book is The Words We Choose, your guide to how and why words matter. Hi, Terry. Thanks for joining us on Big Universe. Wow. Thank you, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's pretty exciting to have you. Um, you know, I want to make sure that I choose the right words uh, to ask you because I, I don't want to have any any issues with that because I know that's what we're talking about today. And that, that everybody stumbles upon that as soon as they start talking to me about this book. <laughs> so be gentle on us, Terry, as we learn today. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the most important, what, what really interesting to me in, in your introduction is that uh, you talk about how individuals 
speak on average 16,000 words each day. That's pretty significant. We, we, we talk a lot. Well, here's the crazy part about that, Jim. That's just the words we speak. That doesn't include the text and the emails and you know all the other ways in which we communicate. We do. And then on top of that, there's what I call the um, your personal podcast, which is the voice in your head that's um, playing over and over again as well. So that that leaves room for a lot of word choices. It sure does. It sure does. Um, you know, you talk about. I want to dive right in, and you talk about your voice is a choice. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that's that my concept of a it's a, your personal podcast. So your um, that voice, it starts with the voice that's in your head, the one that that narrative that's playing over and over again, sometimes at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but what 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 you're telling yourself and the story that you're believing. And so sort of step one is make sure that the words that you're choosing for that narrative align with your values and what's important to you. And it's choice. It's a choice. Changing that narrative is a choice. And then that segues into the choices you have when you're speaking to others. But you've got to get that part right first. It's sort of a, an inside job, let's say, to um, choose the voice that you choose for yourself and align that the, the words that you're choosing with your values and with your intentions. So for example, if I hold the values of um, curiosity and kindness, compassion, and I, I start to hear the, the narrative in my head be misaligned with that and be offering me up words that are you know disconnected with those values, then I have the choice to change it. So, and you're talking about talking with other people as well as uh, to yourself, what you say in your, in your own uh, conversations in your mind. I mean, not that I have conversations in my mind. I certainly don't. Oh, but... Jim, now come on. <laughs> <laughs> your conversations that? in your mind are so loud. I can hear them over here. <laughs> Who said that? Was that me? I can't, I don't know. I think that's a great point because I think that that voice sometimes Terry for me is the one that's that's most difficult for me to to filter or to change or uh, to adapt like I hear myself saying things to myself and I think why am I being so unkind to myself what is that yeah that's right so it's that having that reflection point of what is that about and what purpose does it serve so here are some questions that I ask to to, to get myself to the right word choices. What purpose does that serve? You know, where is that coming from? Why am I choosing such, such an approach or, or such a position on something? And then how can I change that? And, and making that choice, which is so important right now. I wanna talk a little bit about that. You know, we're living in a world right now of perceived diminishing choices, right? Where people are, are, are just going about their their normal day, it feels like you have fewer and fewer choices, but what you can choose is how you respond to things, right? So how we are reacting to things we can't control and, and reframing it to what we can control, that's all about word choices. That's all about how we turn around the, the thing that we can't control and choose words and approaches that we can control. Okay, so you talked about the foundation of this choice uh, is in alignment with your values. What do you mean by values? How do we how do we speak to our values? Can you give me some idea about that? Sure. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so let's say I have a value of, um, of confidence, like I value being a confident person and I, I allow the voice in my head to start with um, offer me some uh, words that aren't confident, right? That don't represent, you know, you're, you won't be able to do that. You know, I, I doubt that's possible. And uh, negative thoughts that undermine my sense of confidence. And so when I, when I'm present, when I take that pause and say, wait a minute, that undermines my sense of confidence. And I'm, that's a value to me, then I'm going to change those words. And I'm going to bump out the ones that are along a negative line and insert ones that serve my value of confidence. That's what I, that's the change that I would make. And you also talk about, you know, how the, the kinds of words you say uh, that, that kind of minimize things versus empowering words that you can use. Like um, you, you talk, you, you talk about, I, I, I just do this, or I should do this. Tell me what, what are more empowering word choices we can use? Yeah, well, let's start with eliminate just in that context. So, you know, I, as I interact with people and, you know, my entire career, and you hear it all the time too, and now that I tell you this, you're going to be much more sensitive to it. Um, just like if I said yellow Volkswagen, you'd start seeing them all the time, right? You will be much more sensitive to this word just when it's someone uses it to and preface what they do. So I'm just in the admin. I'm just the admin here. Right? You've heard somebody say that. Meanwhile, the bubble around, above their head is saying things like, I hold things together. None of the executives would ever get to their meetings. There would be no preparation. I'm the grand organizer. You know, that's what's going through the person's head. And they come up with, I'm just the admin. And so removing that and saying, I'm the administrative assistant who gets things done here, who holds things together. And I'm the organized of, you know, force, organizing force in this environment and owning that. So I heard someone speaking the other day, and I've, I've been dying to ask you about this word and what it means when someone uses it. It's in, in this vein of what we're talking about. And the person who was speaking was delivering this wonderful speech. And I was really interested in it, but I noticed that about every fourth word was actually and and I and so like you said with the yellow Volkswagen, all of a sudden you know my brain kind of tapped onto it, and then I couldn't not hear just kind of actually, actually, actually. And I wondered if is that one of those types of words because it it kind of felt like it was taking, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but I just know that it was popping up in my head. Any thoughts? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's a straight up minimizer, um, you know, that, but it's it's something that definitely takes away from what the person's trying to say. It's the same as literally, you know, when you're, and you know, you, you keep saying, well, literally this or actually this. And I would say that it's more along the line, Sarah, of uh, um, habitual words where people have habitual words. And that's probably what was going on with that person. Um, my daughter uses the habitual word like. Uh, <laughs> I use right. <laughs> and, some, and sometimes it becomes almost like a tick, you know, mm -hmm. like, like <laughs> a tick that you know is repetitive so i bet you that's more of what was going on and it wasn't it, the it, the minimizing words i wonder sometimes if they're offered consciously or unconsciously you know there's some sort of self-doubt that uh, that enables a person to lead with just this or um some uh, that, 
a different way to spin that is different words such as I should or I must or things that minimize what the, the real effort is and it without going uh, more overt about it. Another, here's another interesting word, pretty. The word pretty. Now, doesn't that seem pr pretty uh, and um, easy to hear and easy to use and such? But when you say, I'm pretty sure that this is going to happen, or I'm pretty confident about, about this, and you, you put that in as a qualifier, it diminishes what your true intent is. My editor tells me this all the time, that I'm hedging when I use words like that. I wonder if that's kind of the same thing. So what, what do you recommend we do? Is it just that we remove the minimizing words or is there another thing we replace them with or do we change the track? How do we, how do we not just and should ourselves? Right, you remove those words. So you remove the pretty and the just enough is another one that you remove. And then some of the others, you, you switch them out. So, so that, that actually takes me to what my, um, my favorite thing to talk about, <laughs> let's say, is that changing out what you should or you have to or you must to what you get to do. And, and thinking in terms of what you get to do brings you so much more gratitude for the effort. So that's, that's something I'd like to dig a little bit into if that's of interest. Of course, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I get to clean my kitchen later. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So, let, so let's talk about that. So it, even I get to do the laundry on the weekend, right? So that it's not natural for us to think that way, but the reality is when I, when I contemplate, just for a nanosecond, that I get to do the laundry on the weekend, you get to clean your kitchen, and then I'm able to say, why is that? I value clean clothes. I actually have hot water and a wash machine and detergent. And when I put all those things together, I come from a place of gratitude now. I get to fulfill this, um, this desire that I have and, and carry on with it. Whereas if I have to do X, Y, or Z, it's a burden. You know, I have to trim the hedges for my neighbor. Whereas I offered to my neighbor to trim those hedges on the weekend. So I get to trim the hedges serves my value of being of service to the neighbor. It's that change is so important to, to move us towards a sense of gratitude for what we're, what we're choosing to do on a daily basis. And, in, and instead of framing it as what we have to do and it's a burden, we're framing it as what we get to do, and it's a privilege. Awesome. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Terry Short about words. So um, I, I guess one of the questions I have is, uh, you know, we're, we're in a pandemic right now. Um, we're using probably written communication a lot more than we we have previously, perhaps, and, and we'd already been using it a great deal anyway. Um, what are some 
tactics that people can deploy, uh, you know, to kind of choose the right words when they're when they're crafting something. And, and Sarah and I were talking about it earlier. Um, I mentioned to her that uh, I have decided that anybody who I offend with my emails, I will send a box of Christmas Captain Crunch to them um, if, uh, if necessary. But what, what do you suggest about uh, the communication with uh, writing these days? Well, I think, I think the pause, and maybe Jim, that's what that's your number one thing to do is like have that pause and reread. And how often do you do an email? Da, 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 send without rereading and having that pause to see does this, here are the questions I ask, what purpose does this serve? That's the same with the word choices. And you talked a little bit, Sarah, about the, what your editor says is what purpose does this extra word serve, right? So what purpose does this serve and, and does it serve my true intent? Is it aligned with my values? So I, I filter the emails, the information through that lens and then decide that it's good to go and won't offend, right? But Jim, I, I am a huge proponent of let's slow down and we do do a lot of writing, texting, our, you know, we're putting our thumbs to the test here, but let's slow down and let's hand write a note. Can write a note. What is that? What does that mean? I don't. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sending Jim pens and pencils for the holidays now. <laughs> what are these things? <laughs> and note cards. Maybe you could start with a postcard. You know, it's just one side. You put a few lines and and send it off. But think about that. Think about the isolation that people are experiencing during the pandemic, and and the value of getting mail, just old-fashioned mail, something that you know, you can hold on to something that could physically come into your bubble and has some key words that that uplift you. I think this is particularly important right now for people who are of advanced ages. Um, I know that my mother right now um, is, you know, she's not in, she's in her apartment, um, but she's, you know, pretty much isolated from from the world. And so I've been mailing a lot of silly things or notes or things where she just has some sort of point of interaction with the outside world. Um, I think that especially for people who aren't um, as digitally native either, right, that idea of, I mean, it, it's so surprising to me how, what an impact it has, what a, what a huge impact two or three sentences has with her as opposed to a four-page email. That's right. I mean, even if you sent the postcard, let's get back to, to minimizing for Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and it just said, I'm here for you. Like someone gets that in the mail and it just says, I'm here for you. Right. And it, it, so just think about the word. That's how many words is that? Four words. Right. And well, with, with the combination there. And it, just think about the impact that that might have. And then back to the emails. How can you bump up what the message you're sending implies or, or um, really that how far you can take that message in the email. So for example, how do you end the email? What do you say at the very end? I'm pretty keen when I'm interacting with somebody that, you know, has really been helpful or, you know, just in general, I appreciate their attention. I'm pretty keen on saying, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. So just I'm choosing those words very intentionally instead of thanks which is a choice, right? But I appreciate you has a different impact to the person receiving it. So what do you suggest? I mean, a lot of us are doing Zoom calls and doing 
you know, everything right now, obviously there's so much online and we're doing Zoom calls and FaceTime and all that stuff to kind of connect and do business and all kinds of things. Do you have any tips on how to interact on like a Zoom call or something like that? You know, I do. I and I find this fascinating. So I do a lot of coaching. I coach you do leadership coaching and executive coaching. And I find it fascinating when I'm speaking to people about Zoom calls and meetings that they're having that they haven't um, set an outcome, a desired outcome. So start there. I'm about to get on a Zoom call. And let's say I'm a participant. I'm not leading the call, but I've been asked to participate in this call. What's my desired outcome? My desired outcome is X. And so then I might jot down a few phrases, a few words, a few things that I would like to weave into the conversation to serve my desired outcome. So that's where it starts, is to be more intentional. That's, that's what we're faced with right now as we're going Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom, one after another without that intention of why am I participating? And now that I know why I'm participating, how can I weave in some well-chosen words, phrases that serve my intent and the reason that I'm participating in this call? So you should prepare that ahead of time. You should uh, actually have that intention and even prepare some of the words ahead of time so that you can communicate uh, in a way that is effective. Yeah, Jim, so here's sort of my hardcore approach to that. If one doesn't, this is me when I'm doing my coaching, if the tough love part is, if you, if you don't have the time for that pause and you don't set the intention for the meeting, don't go. Like, you know, don't, just don't show up because what's the value in your participation if you haven't been able to, to frame what that participation is going to look like and what value you're going to provide as part of that Zoom call? That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, going back to the voice, um, the voice is a choice. You talk about witness versus judge. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so... So often now, this is how, why we've gotten in this crazy place of being not being able to communicate even with loved ones, because we've started to judge very um, quickly, um, judge people based on ideologies and what we what we think and what we're assuming about them, and it, that serves no purpose. It really doesn't. We're never going to get any closer, and we're not we're not communicating heart to heart when we come from a place of judging, but when I come from a place of witnessing that leads me to ask questions about what the other person fears or what they're feeling. And when I, when I ask questions from that place in order to bear witness to where they are you know, and, and what their position is, then, then the conversation can unfold. But if I come from a place of judgment, then we, we, we hold up and we stop straight away. So let me give you an example. The word choice. Leading with the word why oftentimes implies judgment. So the mm. simple, simple thing. If I say to my husband, well, why did you um, get the groceries in the afternoon? Why did you wait until this afternoon to get the groceries? So I might just be curious, but that implies judgment, right? Why? Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. might think, why, why should I have done it at a different time? No, I'm just curious. But when I lead with why, why do you support that police chief? as the, the next police chief. When I ask it in that manner, it can imply judgment. Whereas if I, if I rearrange and I start with what, how, or tell me about. So those are key ways to bear witness and engage in the conversation from a different level. So 
um, what what will the um, what does the police chief bring to our community? Um, tell me more about uh, this particular p police chief. You know that sort of thing. So you're you're reframing it to get to a place of bearing witness as opposed to jumping right in with words that could be more judgmental. I think you just helped my marriage greatly. <laughs> I do this all the time, Terry. I have a very, very curious mind, and I'm constantly asking my husband, why such and such, why such and such? And his response generally is, is you know, some sort of like kind of backward, you know, why are you asking me, right? And it, it creates this tension. And I say, I'm just curious. <laughs> and I've never thought about that as judgment, because I don't intend it to be judgment. I intend it to be a curiosity about why did you put something here versus there? I'm curious, as opposed to you shouldn't have put something here versus there. Um, that's a really, a really helpful tip. <laughs> I'm happy about that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because the person asking why, yourself included, may not be coming from a place of judgment at all. It might be a place of curiosity, but depending on the place where the receiver of this question is at the time, it can feel like judgment. So in order to be sure, just don't lead with why. It's very, it, it takes a while. You'll hurt, you're going to hear yourself doing it now. You'll say, why? And then you'll, you know, back up and change that question into a what or a how or tell me the statement of tell me. And then you're going to catch yourself up doing that now. I guarantee it. Excellent. I'm going to be I'm going to be seeing my wives, seeing yellow Volkswagens, all sorts of things after this. You know, I was really curious in the book. Uh, you talked about grief um, quite a bit, and I think that that's one of the things that I'm experiencing um, is is really present for a lot of us right now. And and I'm wondering, um, actually, Jim Jim and I were talking about this a little bit before about you know what is the response in this pandemic time when we're having this grief of not only of people that we're losing, but also of, of events or um, being in person. Like there's, there's just loss after loss after loss. Although maybe I need to change my words about loss after loss after loss. But do you have any tips for um, how we respond to that? I do. I think this is very important. And it, you know, it, sometimes when we're unsure of what to do, we, we retreat and we don't offer any words. You know, when, when we get, deeper and deeper into the grief and maybe it's not even that you, you personally are feeling the grief but you're absorbing it from others and so you start to go to a place where it's it's hard to come up with the right words so I actually lean quite a bit on my friend and colleague Lisa Silvis DeLong and Lisa's written a book called Blood Brothers and that's born out of her losing a son to cancer and then and another son having the exact same cancer and so she, she's done some grief counseling. And we met time and time again to come up with what are the real key words to offer. And I'm actually going to read them to you out of the book because I feel that they're, they're very impactful. Her, her number one thing is what I was just talking about. Tell me more. Just, just pause and say, tell me more and allow the person to express their grief. That's, again, bearing witness, bearing witness to what the, the other person is going through. Um, here are some some things to say to offer and this goes this can be in the handwritten note this can be in the email this can be spoken I grieve with you as nearly as I can I am with you at heart this is a tender time I'm holding you close to my heart 
and be gentle with yourself. So my, after having written the book, um, I have started now time and time again, and, and unfortunately this happens you know, a couple times a week now where I find myself saying to someone, I'm holding you in my heart. I had a friend pass away recently from uh, cancer, a good friend, and I struggle with what to say to her partner because I, I want to value her experience. And I don't want to give one of those pat answers like, you know, you'll get through this or everything's going to be okay because I know that's not helpful. So I try to just say, you know, I'm here if you need me. You know, I'm just checking in on you and that sort of thing. Is that an appropriate way to have that conversation? Oh, absolutely. And and then perhaps adding that I'm holding you in my heart or I'm, I'm, um, I know this is a tender time, any of those types of things that I said. And, and Jim, let me touch on, I'm going to read to you a couple that, you know, hands down, um, when I was speaking to Lisa, she talked about the things that people think are helpful. They think that these saying these things are sort of bridging some sort of gap for the person that's grieving, and they are not helpful. He's in a better place. God needed another angel. You're so strong, I could never handle this. That one in particular, you know, sort of held... Uh, held her up and her, her children, you know, her surviving children that felt, wow, wow, that's, that's not how it feels right now. So it's not a helpful offering to, to bridge the communication in that way. And here's the last one is you just need to have more faith. And so even though that's just a handful, there are variations on each of those that aren't helpful. You know, that, that the grieving person, it, it, this is the trick, is that it feels helpful for the person offering it ends up it's not about you. So that's part of the contemplation that has to happen is what serves the other person. When I speak of speaking heart to heart, from my heart to your heart, it's more about uh, staying true to my values and connecting in a way that serves you. And so that's what that contemplation helps, helps with. I'm interested in your talk about connecting with loved ones and steps you can you can do to that. And you talk about owning your message, speak in terms of I, you know, lean into your values and listen really well. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think one of the first things that, and I, and I, I learned more about this as I wrote the book. Um, one of the first things is to identify triggers. So with loved ones, you know, you're, there are triggers, whether, whether or not you realize it at this time or not. Um, and it actually, you'll, we start to understand those triggers more when it's Thanksgiving and Christmas and times that we are. <laughs> that is so true. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have to share, you know, I'm in New Zealand and I had this uh, New Zealander say to me the other day, let me get this right. So you have Thanksgiving and you gather all of your extended family and everybody comes for this big meal. Yes, yes. And then you do it again one month later for Christmas. And I said, yes, yes. They said, oh, we give a whole year in between. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the triggers, so identifying the triggers first. And then, and I go deeper into this in the book. So you're, once you identify them, then own them, right? So you're, so when I say own them, don't make it that my sister triggers me in this manner or my mother triggers me in this manner. Um, own that I am triggered in this manner or when somebody says X and why is that? So do a little bit of that self-assessment before you get to the Christmas table. 
right? Or, or before you show up, return to your home, and next thing you know, you feel like the 12-year-old. Right. You know, that, and you're, you're back in that place. So own the trigger first, and then you're in a position to speak in the I statements and speak about what you feel. I feel this way when you say that in this manner, or you bring that story up again, or what have you. So start to identify the trigger, own it, go into the conversation from that place. And then tie the word choices that you have is leading with I, as you, as you said, and tying it to what you feel and tying it to your values. So, um, you know, I value um, kindness. And when I hear uh, this reflection or this story repeated at, at, my, to, at my expense, I feel, <laughs> I feel hurt, or I, you know, that's, so you're, you're wrapping that all together, the values and how you feel based on what you perceive as a trigger. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So I'm asking, so I wondered, um, you know, in terms of talking about sitting around the, the uh, Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table or, or whatever holiday you celebrate, um, you, you have to think about the words other, others choose for you as well and how that affects you. Talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So it gets, to me, it gets back to that ownership part and bearing witness. Now, you can't wave a wand and change around the table how people are going to choose their words, right? I mean, you could offer them all a book for Christmas. That There's an idea. There you go. We'll, we'll send them <laughs> your book and we'll say, read this before you talk to me again. Yeah. Aside from that, short of that, you can't wave the wand and, and ensure that they're all going to come up with better word choices. But you can own how you respond, right? And you can own... More, most importantly, you can own which of those word choices somebody chooses for you that come into your particular narrative. Because now when you go to bed that night, that narrative is playing over in your head. And that's when you stop and pause and say, does this serve a purpose? And it might have served a purpose for this person. And it might have been to hurt, to denigrate in some way, to minimize your effort. And when you replay that, that's when the choice comes in that your voice is a choice for how you're gonna, how you're gonna accept or not accept that narrative into your own being. And that, that's incredibly important. That's the part we don't do. We just take it, we absorb it, and then it, it weaves itself into more of a negative narrative. And that's my contention that that's a choice and, and not one that you wanna make. So I, in the book I talk about, there's a gal named Sarah Henry that shares her story of how she was told she couldn't this and she couldn't that and you know she'd never be a writer and and she lived past that and at at a point decided that she would not be bound by the the uh, the word choices of others another example the, the example we all know is oprah if you really dig into oprah's story and you understand what she was told what the words others chose for her throughout the course of her early life you would think Gosh, how did that happen? How did she become Oprah? It was, a, she chose words for herself that greatly impacted her trajectory. I think that's interesting in also how we're seeing certain words being reclaimed, where words that were once used for people as derogatory then become words that are used by advocates, where they're, where they're reclaimed in certain ways of that word has less power 
that word doesn't do to me what you think that word does to me. That kind of thing. I, I wonder if that's, I'm totally going tangential here, but I, I was thinking about that the other day. I was reading a book on uh, disability advocacy and kind of reclaiming the words around cripple, which is a word that's quite an offensive word, but how disability advocates would use that kind of in a reclaiming way to say that word doesn't have power over me. Do you think there's a way to, to reframe those words as well? There is, but that's a little tricky because that's um, it. That's the the ownership there. I believe falls on the person that would be minimized by the word. Right? It's up to them. It would be up to an individual who is would be affected by a word that um, that that would be reframed. So, in other words, if it's not something that that I own, then it's not my job to reframe it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing in the LGBTQ movement as well as as many of us have reclaimed the word queer as as a word that we would use and are fine with. However, when I was called queer when I was 12, that could send me into my you know bedroom crying for hours. Right. So I, I think it's very interesting how those words how those words change over time as well. You know, that's a great point, Sarah. Um, so that's a great point of your choice. Now, you've chosen it. But let's get back to what Jim was saying before about the words others choose for us. You could be at the Christmas dinner table and have others speak in terms that you've chosen, but with a different intent. So, so that's something to watch for, too, is that um, that's when we get to heart to heart. A person might be using a word that, that works for you but with the wrong intent, right? Mm, so an example sure. would be in the book, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Davia Spain, um, a, a trans woman that shares her story of, of what she goes through with her family to get them to just straight up use the right pronoun, right? So it's, and then eventually they're, they're trying, but sometimes they're trying in a, in a stabbing derogatory way. So they're not using the words that she's asking for and the, the word choices that she owns um, from their heart, let's say, from their heart and in a, in a way that um, is respectful. And that's what's needed. I wanna, we just have a couple minutes here and I wondered if you could give us some examples of, of great words to use to influence and to inspire folks, you know, whether it's internally, externally, um, I'm, I'm just curious if there are suggested words you might have that we can empower our language with. Well, I would say um, go back to your values. So I, um, I contend that people don't straight up know their values. So there are some exercises to do to know what your values are and then speak to them overtly. So um, appreciation, gratitude. So I said, my example was, I appreciate you. So I weave that into when I'm speaking back to someone. Um, when, I'm, when I'm writing to someone, I might say, um, I might talk about their, how respectful they are, um, their sense of compassion, uh, how they honor their integrity, how kind. So use those words, use the words that are relevant to your values and be overt about them. So that's one way. So the, the um, 
sense of values on the other side, on one side. On the other hand is using words like that are just uplift people, fantastic, terrific, brilliant. Um, you know, what, finding ways to weave such words into an uplifting situation as opposed to a minimizing and take the minimizing words out and call people out on that. Like when someone is choosing words that are minimizing, they might not realize it. So call them out and, and offer the, the word to insert that's more uplifting. Jim, you're brilliant. Oh, you're awesome, Sarah. And so are you, Terry. Thanks for joining us on Big Universe. I have one more question for you. I just have a couple of seconds. If you had one suggestion for our audience for to start out on the path of, of using more, using words a little more effectively, what would you say? Hmm. Well, I say that yours is the voice of humankind and that voice is a choice. So pause and contemplate before you speak, what is the word that best serves your intention? And what is the word that will connect your heart to the heart of the person you're speaking to? Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry, for being on Big Universe. Great. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate you both. And uh, for more information about Terry Short, please go to shortgroup.net. Her book is The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.